welcome to another episode of the Spill VMT podcast with Chris. I hope everyone's good, everyone's okay. Today we are going to discuss the musical My Fair Lady. This one is a classic, it's a beautiful production at the London Coliseum, a stunning venue, a beautiful, beautiful theatre and this cast, uh, this production in general, transferred from Broadway over here at the West End, which is something really, really exciting. And, you know, there's a certain prestige to, to that and status. Um, you know, it's different when something from the West End goes to Broadway. You know, it's a bit of an upgrade. Um, of course, the West End is a magical, magical place, but Broadway is without a doubt the biggest and the I guess higher higher um platform of musical theater in the world so when something comes over here from Broadway it's you know it's always something out of this world amazing uh so I was so 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 excited to go see this show um I would like to kindly thank uh Today Ticks which is an app um, website and app that you can download on your phone or you can go to the website from your laptop and uh, you can find exclusive deals um, on musicals and plays um, in London in the West End they have rush tickets um, they have um, sales and discounts and just amazing offers all the time um, and I actually got offered a lovely voucher from them to go see this show, which I'm really, really grateful for because it was it was an amazing show. Um, so uh, I'm going to dive right in. Um, and I'm going to start with my little introduction points. And then I will give you my review of My Fair Lady. So let's start with our book recommendation of the week. I'm currently reading The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy. Um, I hope that's the way you pronounce the author's name. Um, it is a beautiful book so far. I've only recently started it, so I don't have a full, full um, opinion about it yet. I haven't set up my mind. I know that I'm enjoying it, um, but yeah, it is something really different. Um compared to other types of literature that I've heard before. Basically, I went to the Waterstones of Piccadilly, mainly because it is the biggest Waterstones in London, and I really wanted to go see it. <laughs> um, and I wanted to pick up a new book from there. And just this whole place, I really advise you to go. Even if you don't want to buy a book, just go and have a wander around. It's just so nice. And uh, really like a spectacle when you when you go in. Um, has so many floors, so many amazing options of books of literally anything that you can think of. I know that Waterstones is a huge bookstore business in the whole country anyway, so that's not new information. But this is like the biggest building that they have in the country. So, you know, it's it's just really, really impressive. Um, so if, if you're a bookworm, then definitely go give a visit there. Um, so yeah, that that is the book I am currently reading. I will give an update on my thoughts about it <laughs> on the next episode. 
Um, now about a movie recommendation. So I decided I'm gonna switch this category to movie slash TV show because I don't watch both a movie and a TV show every week. I will watch one or the other, so it makes more sense. Um, so I <laughs> watched season three of um, Never Have I Ever, and it was so fun. It was so fun. It's one of those shows that you know it's it's lighthearted. It's not deep. It's not like I mean, it does have some deep topics to it, but like it is not like a. It, it, it's a teenage show. It is, you know, just easygoing, good vibes, small, uh, like short episodes. It's just a very fun show. Um, and I had been quite busy this month, so I really enjoyed having something to watch, uh, like every day. Um, so it was quite nice. I finished season three <laughs> really, really early. It took me like three or four days. Well, it's only 10 episodes of like half an hour, so it's not that bad. But when I saw that Rupi Kaur um, posted on her Instagram that she had went to the, like, there was like a gala that they had for the opening of the of season three. And I don't know if she's like a sponsor. I'm not sure what role she has in the production, if any, or if she just loved the show and she went to see it. But I love Rupi Kaur and I thought, oh... Oh, she said so many like good things about it. So I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna give it a go. And it was actually really, really fun. I'm glad I did that. For the musical theater song of the week, <laughs> I've got a song that is from The Greatest Showman, which is a show that I don't love personally. I you know, I don't really see the hype. I think that it has been too glamorized and it has this Hollywood vibe about it that lures people in. But if we're talking like musical theater 101, it's not really meeting a lot of my standards. Um, yeah, so I'm, I don't love the show and the plot. Um, no, not really. But there's this one song that well, it's one of my best friend's favorite songs and he actually put it on the other day and I realized that this song actually has a really, really good arc to it. It starts a little, really subtly, subtly, and then it really builds up the intensity and it really paints the picture and gives this amazing energy to it um and that is the song from now on from um from the greatest showman i do think it's a bit slow perhaps uh depends what mood you're in sometimes it can be a bit like oh okay let's get to the point type of thing but i think for the most part it is a very very good song um and quite emotional when i'm listening to it um so i'm gonna put that in a playlist i think uh, i did listen to it quite a lot this week just because i wanted to really separate the song from the show i think sometimes if you don't like a show you can you know not be as appreciative of some good songs because a show can be good with some bad songs and a show can be not so good for like personally and have some good very very good songs um of course 
the ideal is for it to be an amazing show and have all amazing songs um but yeah i think that is fair enough uh for that and lastly we have the musical theater quote of the week which uh is going to be selected from my fair lady um so hmm there's so much in this there's so much um I think, let me go and look up some quotes from My Fair Lady. Oh, they had this amazing tote bag, bag, sorry, with all this, um, uh, all these quotes and it was sold out and I really wanted to get it. I would have been able to have it as a reference now, but I don't. There was this this line that she said that was so like, oh yeah, I have it written down. Where is it? Where is it? So she basically said that um, Colonel Colonel Pickering treats a flower girl as she was a lady, but Henry Higgins treats a lady as if she was a flower girl, and that is the difference between someone that is a gentleman and someone that is not and the way that she said that it was just so powerful that you know her journey from being a flower girl to to this you know glow up of her doesn't make her any more or less of a lady just because she learned you know the manners and the language and the etiquette it doesn't mean that she also learned how to be human. A lady is always a lady, no matter her her um, financial state or her status or anything like that. And that was a really important message that for quite a while at the show, I was, I was questioning, I was thinking, oh, are they going to address that at all? Are they going to act like she just became a lady now and she was not before just because she, she didn't have as many, you know, as much money or as many luxurious things in her life and I, I was really glad when when Liza pointed out that actually I should have been treated by a lady from the get-go and not just because I have fancy gowns now and I can speak in a more classified way so I was really glad that she said that and I love that quote so I'm gonna go with that um so I'm going to now start touching up a bit on on this specific production. Um, as I said, it was at the London Coliseum, a uh, stunning venue. I will say that it is huge, so be prepared. If you're sitting on the dress circle, and when I say dress circle, I'm not talking like really really far i'm talking on the first few la- few rows of the dress circle you will still not be able to see the expressions as clearly i know that um many people have said that even sitting on the stalls is not like the most intimate experiences at it perhaps is to other theaters just because you have the huge orchestra pit in this in the um in the front uh however that didn't take anything away from my experience um because i just found that the coliseum was a spectacle on itself like as as a whole font i was not focusing just on the stage i was focusing on the whole setting and that was beautiful and 
you know, you could still see um, everything that was happening. I could still understand like the facial expressions, but not in as much detail. Um, so, you know, if you are someone that, you know, feels like you're not going to be able to, to um, benefit from that as much, then perhaps um, consider the stalls uh, a bit more than other shows that have, you know, a different theatre going experience. But I think on the London Coliseum specifically, um, if you are the kind of theatre goer that really, really um, lacks from not seeing the expressions as as closely, then perhaps you should think twice about uh, where you should select your seat. Um, I think it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, the fact that they have um, a flower shop um, outside, I think that's just so sweet. I always love when shows really take the merch to the next level. I hate when I see, you know, just the program and a pin and a t-shirt that is all white and we've glued the logo of the show on it. It's, you know, it really makes a difference when someone is being thoughtful about how they're going to promote their show in more innovative ways uh, than, you know, a t-shirt and a pen and a tote bag, which, you know, again, I will always get the tote bag. I love tote bags. I love these things. But I think if you only have them and like, you know, consistently, it can lose some of its value. Uh, really. Um, so that was beautiful. They had a flower shop that you you could uh, select uh, flowers right before the show. And then after the show was done, they would have a bouquet ready for you to receive after the show um, as if it was from Eliza's, I guess, future flower shop, um, which I think is just a wonderful idea. And also um, a very, very beautiful detail that I didn't know of. And um, Mickey Joe mentioned in his video about the production is that Robert Fairchild, um, who was in American in Paris, co-runs this flower shop at the London Coliseum. And I just love that. I love that um, the shop is co-run by a Western performer, well, Broadway performer and, and in flowers of all things. It's just so emotional, really. The fact that someone can contribute to a theater experience like that when they're not even in the show, but they they offer something to it as, a, as an experience, as an immersive and not just as what you see on stage. I thought that was, that was great. Um, so I wanna talk a little bit about the stage. So I had a lot of issues with the way that this was staged. Now I was reminded by Mickey Joe Theater, who was also reminded by someone else on his video about this production, um, that this show, uh, when it was on Broadway, it was on a thrust stage. And the London Coliseum has a proscenium. And that is a big difference, uh, which I guess explains exactly why this set doesn't work. Um, so basically, um, Henry Higgins' house is this magically wonderful, just, you know, unimaginably great piece of work um, set uh, that we have on the stage. It's this revolving house. 
um, that has all the different rooms. It has this like three dimensional um, look to it. And, you know, depending on what scene we're on and what room we're on, the this like house is literally turning and stopping on the section of the house that we need to stay uh, for that specific scene. And that was just like, I've never seen anything like this before in, in a set. I felt, I thought that was just so, so magical, the way that it was done. Um, and, you know, especially when, you know, the actors sing and they go from one room to the other and Eliza opens a door and then suddenly we see her on the other door and the set is like turning so fast that you, you almost don't notice that it is, you know, a humanly built set and it's not, you know, an actual house. It's all happening so fast and so effortlessly that you forget that this is a piece of set. Um, however, the issue that I had with the stage is that the set had a little platform in order for it to move uh, with, I'm guessing, wheels from one side of the stage to the other when we needed the house on stage and when we had a scene uh, on the streets. Um, and there was this little platform that was higher than the actual, you know, floor of the stage. But because it was not as big, because the 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 stage on the Colosseum is wider than, I'm guessing, the one they had on Broadway, the actors constantly had to step out of the house, imaginary house, supposedly, you know, walk this, down the street to then go to the other side of the room of the house, which kind of you know ruined it for me because they basically exit the set um, that they're not supposed to because the floor is now labeled as the street, the platform is now labeled as Henry Higgins' home. So when someone has a scene in the house, but then they don't have any room and they suddenly step down to what is supposed to be the street, it was really confusing and really frustrating uh, because it was it was just not, it was not making any kind of sense, basically. Um, and, you know, one more thing that I'd like to say about the set is that even though it was absolutely beautiful, uh, because I was sitting in the dress circle, like quite high up, I could see, um, in I don't remember which exact piece of set, but whenever there was like a um a roof, I could see the gap um from where I was sitting that you know it was it was not it was not an actual roof, it was just the shape of the roof, but in between there was a gap. So I think for the sake of you know people sitting on all of those seats on the dress circle and the royal circle and the balcony, perhaps they need to fill that roof so it's not just a gap because again it takes away from the magic and the realism of it a little bit um but in general the use of sets was just absolutely fantastic uh everything was you know movable and assemble members were just you know all over the stage um moving around with pieces of set uh whilst doing choreography was really really impressive and it was just, you know, a classic, classic musical. It's one of those, I, I love My Fair Lady. I love the movie. Um, it is a role that Julie Andrews has done. And, you know, these are really, really hard and intimidating shoes to fill for anyone that ever plays the role of My Fair Lady, even for um, 
Audrey Hepburn when she did the 1964 movie. It, it is it is a challenge uh, when Julie Andrews or a name that big is associated with anything. And I think that um, 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 Amara Okereke did an amazing job in that. Um, so yeah, um, this is just a little bit about the set. Uh, I do think that in general as a show, it is a long show. It is a three-hour show. So I would say, you know, be prepared for that. Uh, there is a, I believe, 20-minute interval. Um, I was not bored at all. I was not really, you know, looking forward to the next and the next and the next song. What I will say, though, is that sometimes we had too big of a gap without a song. Uh, so we would have a song and then not another song for quite a while, but then we would have two or three songs one after the other. And that messed up with my head a bit, not because it was good or bad. I just don't see that done normally. And it made me think, I was trying to see the program if this is classified as a musical play. Um, but it doesn't say a musical or a musical play. It just says the Lincoln Center theater production of My Fair Lady. So, you know, how some shows, you know, they have Hairspray, the musical, Wicked, the musical, the musical. Um, and some of them have a musical play or they have um, a song cycle or whatever it is that they put it under the umbrella of um I mean I'm not I'm not an expert in this but I would personally say that this is a musical play because of these gaps between the songs uh like there was quite a while without you know them emerging into song which didn't bother me at all but I hadn't seen something like that before um so I would say be aware of that. Also, uh, as I said, it's quite a long show. So be prepared, you know, take your, your snacks and your drinks. They have some beautiful um, uh, and thoughtful um, food and drinks uh, with names after the show. Uh, you know, I think they had a My Fair Lady cocktail and it was just stuff like that. And it's just, you know, touches like this and details like this in not just the stage like like the actual you know uh stage performance but the whole theater going experience is what really elevates a show for me and i really appreciated that um so when we start act one uh you know as i said the set is fantastic it's literally the first note that i wrote great entrance of set it is the first thing you see you have this beautiful see-through um um curtain uh that there are a lot of shades of purple and pink and you know it's really um lovable you can you can see the vibe of a love story really shining through which is something you know really really great for this show um i am not going to lie i was not thrilled with eliza's character it didn't take me a long time to, you know, be absolutely fascinated by her. But I think the first, I don't know if it was the specific performance that I saw, but the first five to ten minutes of the show um, seemed a tiny bit forced to me. I don't know if it was vocal fatigue or anything like that. Um, 
even if it was, it really, you know, turned it around um, literally within the first 10 minutes of the show. Um, but, you know, uh, sometimes when you've never seen a production of a specific show before, and it's such a classic as well, quite an operatic vibe to it, when it doesn't hit you from the first second, it's a bit hard uh, for you to, to get that feeling back. But, you know, I absolutely did on this case. Um, Amara was just phenomenal um, in her performance as Eliza Doolittle. Um, I think that in general, um, the show has such has such attention to detail, it's almost impossible for you to not become, you know, really um, invested in those characters and really want to know more and more about them and their lives and their feelings. And um, the stage itself has such a beautiful depth to it. Um, and it really introduces you to the world of, you know, that era of England in you know, outside the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden, which, you know, it's such a luxurious, rich neighborhood um, with, you know, fancy people walking around it all day long. But the way that we see it in this production is, you know, a completely different side of, of London, of, of, um, of a community of people that are really poor and are really struggling and they're trying to get through and you don't always associate these places like that you know like especially people that are from London know what I'm talking about because you go to all these areas you go to Covent Garden you go to um, Sadler, Sadler's Wells or the Royal Opera House or Notting Hill or I don't know like you know these really rich areas and you're just thinking to yourself like is every has has everything always been like that here? No, everything had to start from somewhere, and you know, like it's just it really, really shows um, the the history of a place. Um, the lighting was also fantastic. Um, it really, really um, contributed um, to the portrayal of the emotions of the characters and setting the right mood for each scene. We had eight scenes in each act, so 16 scenes in total. Um, um, and most times when you change the scene, you also change the set, even slightly or majorly. And, you know, I think that was brilliant. Uh, the amount of times that this set changed and, you know, it was all coming in and then it was coming out and then it was turning and then it was exiting and it was a sample was entering with pieces of set and then they were removing them and adding them it was just just fantastic uh the way that the whole assemble comes together in order to you know bring the set to life as well as obviously the choreography and and the and and the development of their character um what do I have here? Oh, also the transitions were really, really fast from one set to the other, which was also really great. It didn't even give you time to think uh, about what happened and how and when. Um, the costumes were phenomenal, um, particularly the women uh, dresses. Um, I can think of so many examples that, that I thought to myself, oh my God, like these costumes are some of the of the finest costumes I've seen in a Western production, um, the embassy waltz was just 
who like the costuming was absolutely divine and then you also had uh slightly earlier than that um the um uh ascot scene outside the club tent and then you see uh you know of course also you have the horse races and um all the people entering with this cold manner um and it completely shifts from the vibe that we already have in the story we have this you know really fun um comedy-esque um vibe with eliza and higgins and how he he um gets her to his well she goes to his house and then he agrees to be her teacher um within like a, a bet with uh cognitive pickering and we see her journey and then when she finally starts to get better uh which is the realization that we get from uh the rain in spain which is absolutely hilarious we then move on to the horses um uh races and we comp- we do a, a whole 360 we we see um this you know upper class of 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 that era in england um it is a completely different color palette it has way more you know blues and stone cold grays and whites and silvers and you can also see it in their expression everyone is so just blunt and cold and distant from each other even though they're so close um you can you can smell the luxury and the richness of it all um um i also wrote that um i love the portrayal of uh let a woman in your life i'm gonna see the actual title of this um where is it with a hmm? what oh i'm an ordinary man that is the actual title i just i didn't i i couldn't see the program on the dark so i just wrote let a woman in your life because that's what he had been saying for ages so that song from from henry higgins was just hilarious of course there are like you know hints of sexism but because he does it in a comical way and in a very obviously, I guess, well, not as his character, but, you know, with the society that we have now in 2022, the way that you perceive songs like like An Unordinary Man or like um, I've Grown a Costume to Her Face or even get me to the church of time like there's songs that are slightly not slightly they're sexist and misogynistic but the way that you hear them now is different because you know that this is not how the word is anymore back then when a man was saying something like that or in our case singing something like that they actually meant it it was actually the reality now we have i i like to think came to a point in time where this can just be fiction it can be a memory of the past and how people and human relationships used to be um and that is kind of what saves this um because th- that is just the point we're at now um just you wait um just you wait is basically 
well, it's my, it's what, it's Faith Mountain. <laughs> Lost my words here. It's, it is one of my favorite songs of the show. And I think I had a lot of expectations for it, for this song because I love it so much and because I've, it is one of the songs that I I love for for myself as well to get into that character, um, and I would personally say that I pref- I, I think Amara's version was wonderful. It was great and it was really really different. But for my taste, I prefer Audrey Hepburn's version, which was slightly more. Um, parody-esque and maybe um satire I would say for Audrey Hepburn I think Amara's version is way more on the aggressive side um which you know it worked well but for my for my taste I quite like Audrey's version more and I couldn't help but compare that however for just you wait the set the lighting the um the staging of the whole number you know um combined with Amar's incredible vocals which you know were truly truly magnificent the whole um overview of this number was truly extravagant and that's what i've written here i've written just you wait just you wait is extravagant and that is uh something that you know this production has really accomplished um i think if not every moment in this show is it is extravagant and it's fine theater that's what i would call this i would call this a show that represents fine musical theater and that is you know a huge compliment um also really randomly i would like to say that the theater etiquette in the show that i went was really really not good which i didn't expect because london coliseum has a a very specific as i said like uh, in the start prestige to it and a way different it's it's a fancy 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 place um and you know, it doesn't by any means mean that, you know, every single person is welcome as it should be to every single theatre going experience. I don't think that musical theatre should be limited or restricted to any, 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 any social group of people. It is for absolutely everyone. Um, and that is, you know, status aside, I think where, where I draw the line and I say, no, it is not for everyone it is not about background or anything like that it is about manners um that is when you know that you are not not that you're not welcome you're always welcome to the theater that's where i don't want to get misunderstood everyone is always welcome and the theater is open to absolutely everyone there, there shouldn't be any restrictions as i said but you as an individual should know when it is appropriate for you to be in a in a sacred place like that. I know there's people that don't that care about the theater and it, the, what it serves way more than others. But everyone, no matter how much you go to the theater, how much you love musicals, you know how, how much experience you have, no matter what, you should 
keep your manners in this theater going experience in this public space um for me the theater is a holy space and when people don't appreciate that and they take that for granted it can be really really annoying and take so much from the magic of what you see right in front of you um so yeah um i am also aware that when i went to see the show there were tube strikes so you know i can understand if the staff was a bit more flexible with people being a bit late to the production that they normally are because of the strikes but that is not an excuse first of all if you know that you're going to the theater and there's a tube strike then start extra early from wherever you're coming from to make sure that this does not happen because it is not respectful respectful to the audience and to the performers even if they can't see you all the way up to the balcony, believe me, the energy is going to hit to hit them, no matter where you are. It is so 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 obvious. Um, but not even for for that. Um, not even just about being late. Just when you are in the actual space, just you know, keep quiet. It's just it's just things that are so self-explanatory that I don't know why we still have to. To explain but anyway i'm gonna leave that here um so um that was a big parenthesis anyway um also the rain in spain st stays mainly in the plane the turning point of her accent here is hilariously changed uh staged uh it's here that we see that you know as i said like that turning point of of her finally getting somewhere with the lessons uh the song in general the way it's staged it is kind of serving as a, as a bit of a fast forward scene um to many many lessons that eliza has had with henry and he he's starting to get a bit desperate because he can see that this is not really going places and then suddenly she says it right and everyone in the audience has just this excitement and everyone is rooting for her and they're all so happy for her um and you know when when you get invested like that in a character it's it's a truly beautiful moment um i also noticed that um ever since eliza starts to um to you know become a bit more precise in in the way that she pronounces um the english language her vocal qualities face a massive change, which, you know, it is so true. When you change the way you speak um, or when you learn a new language or when you, you speak in an accent, like when you do, um, you know, changes like that, um, your vocal cords, uh, everything is affected. Um, so, you know, it made so much sense to me that suddenly the vocal quality of of her singing voice change. I don't know if that was an acting choice or if it was just natural, but it, it, it was really, really beautiful. Um and that is why we then have I could have danced all night, which is way more operatic than what we had seen her do up until that point. Of course, you know, I think from I would say that song was a checkpoint for Eliza. And I think after that everything was becoming way 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 more operatic which was just stunning um and i would say this song is what initiated that um we are now introduced a bit more to eliza's feelings well romantic feelings for the first time after i could have danced all night uh you can see a bit of a love-hate relationship but this is the first song that we 
we see it a bit more directly. Her her voice is now softer and more ladylike, um, and it it really it feels like she it feels like a form of escapism. Like her dancing and singing is just, you know, she uses those forms of art to really express herself. Um, in a way that she hadn't before because she didn't know how to express herself before she didn't know how to articulate her feelings in words in in the English language in a way that was you know doing justice to what she was actually feeling um and lastly um before I move on to act two I would love to talk a bit about uh the last scene of act one which is scene eight um and we have this beautiful mannequin entrance uh with a gray sky backdrop and it, it we're now entering um the horse races that i talked about the costuming before and i would just love to give a shout out to the choreography here of course the choreographer is the amazing uh christopher gatelli uh he has done you know so much he has done my fair lady uh on broadway uh he has done newsies uh, he has done amazing, amazing things, and he's a choreographer that I'm really, really inspired by from so much that he has done. So I was really, really thrilled to learn that he was the choreographer of this production as well. Um, I also wrote, sorry, uh, that those blues and greys and, and this color pattern in, in general is resembling their manners and this upper class uh, system. Uh, their posture, everything is so, you know, high up and it really helps to set up the mood for that. We have some hilarious interactions of the horse parade in general with Eliza and Higgins' mother and all her friends. It's just, it's just so, so, so funny. Uh, her gown is absolutely gorgeous. The cape, the red cape, oh my days. It was just, it was just lush. It was amazing. Um, and it was just a beautiful ending of act one as she exits. Um, we, I, w- I would say this is the first time that we also see Higgins, um, you know, really having this realization of, wow, that is Eliza. You know, like we really start seeing something happening here after they're back from the horse races, and you know she she was now ready to go to the embassy walls to to the Buckingham Palace. Um, that exit, that because you know I was a bit skeptical about it. I was thinking, oh, like it's it's not that often that you see an act ending without a song. You usually have you know one last song with a very high note at the end, and then boom you know blackout end of act one but in this case we didn't have a song she simply exited the stage on her beautiful gown i believe she was on the side of colonel pickering and higgins had already left with mrs pierce if i'm not mistaken but it was just so elegant and minimal and an absolutely perfect ending to act one so now moving on to act two um here is where we have the see-through curtain that i was talking about in the start with the pink and purple tones um which you know it really works quite wonderfully 
there was some lovely partnering work there uh choreography wise and then we have um you know it's just this whole scene about the embassy waltz which was i've written dreamy that is the right word um it was maybe my favorite scene of the whole show if i'm being honest um it was it was a beautiful beautiful scene uh to watch um there was this song it was called you did it um and it is basically when we come back from the waltz eliza has you know had a, a triumph but pickering and Mingy higgins act like this is their victory and not hers and this is where we see eliza's lack of presence in her body language which says a lot and it just shows how much men can neglect uh, women's feelings ever since then and they can like completely failed to read the room which is basically why i hate men but anyway um yeah and it, it was just not nice to see it was played really well from you know both the male characters that were really over the top with their i guess neglect and avoidance and it was also really nicely played from amara and her you know really obvious interpretation of feeling left out and feeling underappreciated um and that contrast really helped us you know really under understand what's happening there uh there was even this really fun uh choir of all the maids uh you know just all around higgins when he was kind of storytelling the whole vibe and the waltz and it was just a great touch to show um we also see you know his status and you know how rich he is and how how many how much help he has around the house and just you know this uh, i guess alternate universe that higgins can live on sometimes and think that his life is so perfect he can just you know step step down people's feelings and not be considered whatsoever which you know i, I really i think in general higgins in act two he became a really unlikable character um well from act one as well but in act two especially i think there was a big shift of how much of an asshole he is uh in many things that he did regarding eliza and the relationship and just the way that he treated her and the thing is about this show he didn't need to have feelings for her she didn't need to have romantic feelings for him we didn't we don't need a romance for a man to treat a woman good this is the moral of the story here you know lovely love story ish um i mickey joe also said that to his video you know like it's not a classic love story it is a classic show but it's not you know as as a romance is not the most straightforward thing in the world and i think what we really have to to remind ourselves here is that just the fact that it so happened that something you know was going on between them towards the end doesn't mean that he shouldn't be nice to her and he shouldn't be a gentleman um so that was quite you know a statement there um and then we see the argument between eliza and henry and i've just read it wow everyone is on the edge of their seats it is an emotional roller coaster she throws those slippers at him and i'm like yes period yes 
that is it eliza like just really standing up for herself it's just it's just great uh she there's a little reprise of just you wait which is not as i thought it would be i thought the reprise was going to be something really really aggressive following up from that argument it was but it was actually so soft and you know when someone is not angry but they're disappointed and that is so 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 much worse it was exactly that and somehow that was so much more powerful than her just you know screaming of the top of her lungs just you wait henry higgins da, da, da. like that's what we saw on the first time of this song on the reprise we see a much more subtle way of her just going just you wait henry higgins like it's just so much more powerful and we really that way see the change that has happened in eliza you know between the two acts and how much she has changed as a person and her character has developed in general um i think that in general uh, amara is a performer uh, she adds so much you know growl in her in her singing and it's working great because she really is giving us that element of aggression and it's just spot on um we then have um show me well we have on the street where you leave reprise and show me um right after that uh show me is also one of my favorite songs of the show um the portrayal of that song was just out of this word it was absolutely incredible um i think that sorry i'm just gonna find my notes for this um where are we why have i written this i'm really confused for my notes oh i see i see i see i see so we have get me on the church of time slightly after from from show me but there is a scene on the street uh that eliza sees um sees her father and everything and i've written that uh but i'm getting ready in the morning we have this version of a stagey bachelorette party and it's so extra i love it i know a lot of people were not you know the biggest fans of um uh, Stephen K. Uh, K. Amos as Alfred uh, Doolittle. Um, I agree in some extent. I think that, you know, I know that many people have said that they didn't find him funny. I did find him funny. Maybe, I don't think the, the issue is that he's not funny. I think that perhaps he's not as funny as you would think, considering that he's a comedian in the role. Uh, because the difference between Eliza and her father is that Eliza is funny without realizing it, whereas her father is really one of those people that he knows he's funny and he's forcing joke after joke and he really wants to hear people laughing at his jokes as validation. Um, and I think maybe that was a bit overdone here uh, because not everything landed as well as I thought it would be. But I think in general, as a, a like staging wise this number is just so 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 extra and you know if you know me and anytime i see something extra i'm just like yes the choreography is burlesque um elemented and it's lively and energetic and playful we have an 
I've ridden an orgy feast uh, fusion, uh, which I think just, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. And uh, we then have the exit of get, get Me to the Church. Um, and they kind of lift um, Doodle as a, as a corpse to exit the stage. And I don't know if that is too deep, but I wrote that perhaps that is because marriage is perceived as, as a dead sentence. And it was kind of like a poor metaphor. Um, you know, there are other examples in the show, like um, after that, we get why can't a woman be more like a man from Higgins, which, you know, again, incredibly sexist, but the setting, the, the period that the, the show is set on and the comical approach saves it from accusations. Um, when Pickering admits that he will miss Eliza uh, after, you know, she, she has become really angry to Higgins and she has decided to move out after their argument with the slippers, uh, Pickering admits that he will miss her and we see a softer side to him. I think in general, Pickering is a character that is way more soft than Higgins um, and emotional, sentimental, but that is the first time that he says something like that and it's really interesting to see that extra layer to him. Um, Mrs. Pierce in general, she's just showing tough love here to Eliza. Um, her attitude in general and, and towards he uh, Henry's sexism is just so sassy. Uh, every time that he says something like that, she just exits the room, she refuses to hear about it, she's just, you know, like, oh, men, like she has this this um, attitude about her that is just so fierce and sassy. And I love it because even though she's, you know, um, he's um, made for the house and he's her employee, uh, she's not afraid to speak her mind and stand up for herself and women's rights and every, anything like that. So that was just a great touch once again. Um, and that is when um we then uh you know we we gain appreciation for pickering and we have the quote that i mentioned at the start when eliza is um at higgins's uh mother's house higgins comes in he finds her they have this conversation and she explains how pickering has always been treating her like a like a lady even you know from the start when she was a flower girl whereas for higgins he has always and always probably will um, treat her like a flower girl, no matter what. Um, and then Higgins says that, you know, Eliza, what you should be actually be saying is that I I treat everyone the same. I but He's basically saying that it is not personal. I treat everyone in an awful, awful sexist way, uh, which, you know, I mean, that is one of the points of the show where everyone has just had it with him. Everyone's like, for God's sake, love, just just, just wake up and listen to what you're saying and how wrong it is. Um, and um, this, the, also, oh, side note, the song, Song Before Last, which is Without You, uh, is a great audition song. Uh, and um, it's just really expressive. It, it has a beautiful performance with a wide variety of vocal qualities and acting choices. So, you know, very, just, just throwing that suggestion out there. Um, and we, we lastly have Henry Hingis's, uh I've grown accustomed to her face, which, you know, 
just as a title says a lot really uh and his mood swings are just absolutely ridiculously entertaining that is all i'm gonna say um and that is perhaps the one thing that Eliza and Higgins have in common, um, their mood swings. Um, and, you know, we then uh, see him going, going back to the house and he puts on uh, the recordings of, of her, like, trying um, to do, you know, all the phonetics lessons. And she then comes in, uh, listens to her voice, which she had said to him as a joke, like, you know, if you miss me, just put a recording on. And he made fun of her. But then when he actually did, she then enters the room, she sees him, and then we see her exit the stage. The spotlight is on her. Um, that was at the stalls, and I was up in the balcony, so I actually have no clue if anything else happened then. But we basically see um Higgins staring at her from you know the spotlight that she's got on the other side um like through the audience on the stalls and that just gives this kind of bittersweet ending of you know it is a happy end but you know we it's not like they are getting married or they are officially together but you can see that there is a future for Eliza and Henry and that is all we need to know you know, if if this musical has taught us anything, is that you don't you don't need a man to be happy. You don't need a woman to be happy. You don't need anyone. You just need yourself and to be okay with yourself. And we didn't need to see them settle down together and you know have be married and have kids. All we need to know is that there is a bright future for them. And as much as they drive inside each other insane, they will keeping in each other's lives and for me that is enough um so yeah I would say that in general as a sh as a show it has this nostalgia this yeah opera fans will love the show um you know it is the kind of musical theater that is really on the next level vocally it is not it doesn't have that contemporary side it goes you know, it, it's one of the best soprano roles. Um, the audience is not, you know, the most youth audience you will ever see. You will see a lot older people in the audience. Um, as I said, because of, of, you know, that era that it's set on and England of that time, you will, of course, see young people as well in the audience, but that is not their target group. Their target group are people with, you know, old souls that... <sighs> how i would i would describe it as vintage people people that love the traditional old fashioned classical genre um and you know i think even if you're not one of those people if you somehow end up with a ticket for this show you will have an absolutely amazing time so i would really give this a shot um you might surprise yourself of how much you might enjoy this show and you know um go to the london coliseum and get yourself some lovely flowers and go watch this amazing show and have an absolutely lovely time <music> Thank you. 
so this was my review of my fair lady thank you so 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 much for listening i don't take it for granted at all i appreciate every single person that listens to to these episodes um once again thank you so much and i will see you soon to spill all the empty take care